It's 534. This is local and regional news on KDMK. I'm Joshua Adamson. The Roaring Fork School District snapped up a town home in Carbondale as future superintendent housing this week. The Post-Independent reports, reports that the cost came in at $1.23 million and was added to the meeting agenda with less forewarning due to the speed at which real estate deals are currently being done in the Valley. Multiple board members plan to secure a unit prior to hiring a new superintendent. Candidates for the role are currently under review, with next steps such as final interviews expected in March. In a presentation to Carbondale's Planning and Zoning Commission this week, a group brought forth the concept of a food truck park, utilizing the combination of the property and several small surrounding plots, currently at 111 Main Street. KDNK News Director Haddison Rensbury has more. The house on the property and to repurpose the space which has seen a variety of uses since it was built in 1888. Designs for the outdoor space on the property include spots for three food trucks as well as an outdoor patio and additions of ADA access and bike parking. The bike parking is an important addition as the new plans would not include commercial parking on site. The plan has multiple phases. The second phase includes adding more bathrooms and a large commissary in separate buildings. Outdoors may accommodate a fourth food vendor. Public comment on the project was generally positive, with several residents expressing their interest for adding more activities on the south side of town, as well as asking questions... Carbondale resident Regina voiced her concerns to the presenters. My property is located on Garfield, which is within a few hundred um, feet of the proposed location. I didn't see anything in the documents about um, power sources for the food trucks. Will they be run on generators? I'm a little concerned about gas and diesel generators and the noise because a lot of the residents that still live in that area don't have air conditioning. So I open my windows at night, and uh, the last thing I want to hear during the day and at night is generators running. Also, supplies and deliveries regarding the parking issue. I heard that there's going to be some stable trucks there. How will they get their supplies delivered with the current parking issue? If they're encouraging pedestrian traffic and parking at the lot and walking down the Rio Grande Trail, there's lighting issues. So what are the planned hours for operation? Because there's a large dark swath along the Rio Grande Trail that isn't really conducive and walking to that site. Presenters replied that individual trucks would not be using generators and hours of operation would stick within town code of 7 a.m. to 11.30 p.m. The most prominently mentioned selling point on the project focuses on creating an entertaining draw for the southernmost section of downtown Carbondale. Additionally, with a use-it-or-lose-it policy applied to the project, developers have noted that if the second phase of the project has not happened within five years of the completion of Phase 1, then Phase 1 will remain unchanged. As the property butts up to the Rio Grande Trail, it has the potential to engage with the trail and for collaboration with RAFTA. For KDNK News, I'm Haddison Rensbury. Despite federal laws that prohibit campaign contributions by people who are not U.S. citizens, foreign-influenced corporations have found ways to pour millions of dollars into political campaigns. According to a new Open Secrets reports, KDNK Eric Gladys has more. 
Co-author Anna Masolia says that's a problem because foreign owners do not necessarily share the nation's best interests. It really underscores the need for transparency to address the challenges posed by these companies that are, at least in part, foreign-owned, and more need for examination of the influence that they wield, as well as who is pulling the strings behind the scenes. Researchers studied state-level campaign donations made by more than 800 companies with at least 5% foreign ownership, or an individual foreign owner over 1% between 2018 and 2022. The fossil fuel sector was the largest campaign contributor in Colorado, with Noble Energy on top at $7.5 million. I'm Eric Galatis. Two western states say that they will sue the U.S. government if the Fish and Wildlife Service doesn't reverse a decision to list the wolverine as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Rachel Cohen reports on KDNK. The Idaho Governor's Office of Species Conservation sent the notice to the federal government last week saying listing the wolverine in the lower 48 was, quote, unlawful and exemplified poor conservation policy. Josh Uriarty with the state office says the listing was wrong in identifying these wolverines as a distinct species. The wolverine population in, in the lower 48 isn't separate from the one in Canada. They're, they're connected. This point has been litigated back and forth over several years, but last fall the Fish and Wildlife Service moved forward with listing, saying climate change is projected to melt crucial snowy habitat for the roughly 300 wolverines left in the lower 48 states. Yet Idaho says climate change is not currently affecting the animal. Jeff Abrams with the Idaho Conservation League says that's an untenable position. The organization believes wolverines should have been listed as endangered, step above threatened. Given this tiny population size, given all the threats that they're facing. Idaho is asking the feds reverse the decision within 60 days. The state of Montana also sent a similar notice to sue. Rachel Cohen, Boise State Public Radio News. Washington County, Utah, home to the city of St. George, has recently been one of the fastest growing areas in the nation. But now, all that growth is on a collision course with the country county's limited supply of water. David Condos of Kuar reports. The area's leaders have a plan to get more. Washington County's population has already quadrupled since 1990 and is projected to double again by 2050. So where will all the water for those people come from? Well, for nearly two decades, a lot of folks here thought the best answer was building a pipeline to Lake Powell a 140-mile straw across the Red Rock Desert. But in recent years, the idea has become more of a controversial pipe dream than a feasible solution. Here's Washington County Water Conservancy District Manager Zach Renstrom. In engineering, we always say the best way to determine the strength of a chain is to stress it and let it break. And so the river was getting to a breaking point. And the Lake Powell pipeline just happened to come at the exact same time when this was going on. More than two decades of dry conditions have put Lake Powell in dire straits, dropping it to record lows. And the surrounding states are locked in a high-stakes fight over the future of the strained Colorado River, which fills the reservoir. But in Washington County, growth has kept marching on. So local leaders are rolling out a new plan to get by for the next 20 years without the pipeline. It comes down to two big ideas, reusing and conserving the water it already has. Then you can see there that... uh... St. George Water Director Scott Taylor stands on a platform overlooking a concrete waterfall 
as it cascades into an underground pipe at the water reclamation plant. This water, he estimates millions of gallons a day, is rushing downstream and out of St. George's grasp. Through emerging technology, the city can clean sewage enough to recycle it back into the system. It could irrigate farms, golf courses, and parks, and leave more in the tank for drinking. But right now, the city doesn't have enough space to store it. All that water that's going in that pipe is flowing straight out into the, to the Virgin River. It lets me know that we have, uh, we have a resource we can better develop and use. The city now plans to construct new reservoirs to hold more of it. But those will take years to build, which makes conservation even more critical in the here and now. District Conservation Manager Doug Bennett walks through a demonstration garden near his office. It's filled with all kinds of native plants, from towering cacti to dainty flowers. The district has begun paying residents to rip out their thirsty grass lawns in favor of landscaping like this. Bennett says it's vital to the area's survival, even if getting residents to break that manicured green barrier isn't always easy. They might live on a street where everybody has grass in their front yard, and they're like, I don't know if I want to be that guy that sticks his neck out and does something weird, and everybody looks at me funny. As soon as somebody does it, it becomes a contagion. But Ed Andrichek with Conserve Southwest Utah has concerns that the area's water leaders might not be planning far enough, fast enough. I think by their own words, they would say, yes, we'll get all this done and it'll generate enough water to meet the demand through about the end of the 2030s. And then, then what? Even District Manager Renstrom says this plan isn't meant to be a long-term solution. It's essentially about buying time. I think in 15 years, about the time I'm retiring, we're going to have to have another very intense conversation about what we're going to do here in this county. So at least in some corners, the debate about the Lake Powell pipeline may be far from over. In St. George, Utah, I'm David Condos. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River, produced by KUER, distributed by KUNC, and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. This is KDNK News.